Chapter 19 of Penrod. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Jonathan Burchard, April 2009. Penrod by Booth Tarkington. Chapter 19. The Inner Boy. Penrod went home in splendor, pretending that he and Duke were a long procession, and he made enough noise to render the auricular part of the illusion perfect. His own family were already at the lunch table when he arrived and the parade halted only at the door of the dining-room. "'Oh, something!' shouted Mr. Schofield, clasping his bilious brow with both hands. "'Stop that noise! Isn't it awful enough for you to sing?' "'Sit down! Not with that thing on! Take that green rope off your shoulder! Now take that thing out of the dining-room and throw it in the ash-can! Where did you get it?' "'Where did I get what, Papa?' asked Penrod meekly depositing the accordion in the hall just outside the dining-room door. That, 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 that third-hand concertina! It's accordion, said Penrod, taking his place at the table and noticing that both Margaret and Mr. Robert Williams, who happened to be a guest, were growing red. I don't care what you call it, said Mr. Schofield irritably. I want to know where you got it. Penrod's eyes met Margaret's. Hers had a strained expression. She very slightly shook her head. Penrod sent Mr. Williams a grateful look, and might have been startled if he could have seen himself in a mirror at the moment, for he regarded Mitchy Mitch with concealed but vigorous aversion, and the resemblance would have horrified him. "'A man gave it to me,' he answered gently, and was rewarded by the visibly regained ease of his patron's manner, while Margaret leaned back in her chair and looked at her brother with real devotion." "'I should think he'd have been glad to,' said Mr. Schofield. "'Who was he?' "'Sir?' In spite of the candy which he had consumed in company with Marjorie and Mitchy Mitch, Penrod had begun to eat lobster croquettes earnestly. "'Who was he?' "'What do you mean, Papa?' "'The man that gave you that ghastly thing.' "'Yes, sir. A man gave it to me.' "'I say, who was he?' shouted Mr. Schofield. "'Well, I was just walking along.' and the man came up to me. It was right down in front of Colgate's, where most of the paints rubbed off the fence. Penrod! The father used his most dangerous tone. Sir? Who was the man that gave you the concertina? I don't know. I was walking along. You never saw him before. No, sir, I was just walk. That will do, said Mr. Schofield, rising. I suppose every family has its secret enemies, and this was one of ours. I must ask to be excused. With that, he went out crossly, stopping in the hall a moment before passing beyond hearing. And, after lunch, Penrod sought in vain for his accordion. He even searched the library where his father sat reading, though, upon inquiry, Penrod explained that he was looking for a misplaced schoolbook. He thought he ought to study a little every day, he said, even during vacation time. Much pleased, Mr. Schofield rose and joined the search, finding the missing work on mathematics with singular ease which cost him precisely the price of the book the following September. Penrod departed to study in the back yard. There, after a cautious survey of the neighborhood, he managed to dislodge the iron cover of the cistern and drop the arithmetic within. A fine splash rewarded his listening ear. Thus assured that when he looked for that book again no one would find it for him, he replaced the cover and betook himself pensively to the highway discouraging Duke from following by repeated volleys of stones, some imaginary and others all too real. 
Distant strains of brazen horns and the throbbing of drums were borne to him upon the kind breeze, reminding him that the world was made for joy, and that the Barzee and Potter dog and pony show was exhibiting in a balieu not far away. So thither he bent his steps, the plentiful funds in his pocket burning hot holes all the way. He had paid twenty-two cents for the accordion, and fifteen for candy. He had bought the mercenary heart of Mitchy Mitch for two. It certainly follows that there remained to him of his dollar sixty-one cents, a fair fortune, and most unusual. Arrived upon the populous and festive scene of the dog and pony show, he first turned his attention to the brightly decorated booths which surrounded the tent. The cries of the peanut vendors, of the popcorn men, of the toy balloon sellers, the stirring music of the band playing before the performance to attract a crowd, the shouting of excited children, and the barking of the dogs within the tent, all sounded exhilaratingly in Penrod's ears and set his blood a-tingle. Nevertheless, he did not squander his money or fling it to the winds in one grand splurge. Instead, he began cautiously with the purchase of an extraordinary large pickle, which he obtained from an aged negress for his odd scent, too obvious a bargain to be missed. At an adjacent stand he bought a glass of raspberry lemonade, so alleged, and sipped it as he ate the pickle. He left nothing of either. Next, he entered a small restaurant tent, and for a modest nickel was supplied with a fork and a box of sardines previously opened, it is true, but more than half full. He consumed the sardines utterly, but left the tin box and the fork, after which he indulged in an inexpensive half-pint of lukewarm cider at one of the open booths. Mug in hand, a gentle glow radiating toward his surface from various centers of activity deep inside him, he paused for breath, and the cool, sweet cadences of the watermelon man fell delectably upon his ear. "'Ice cold watermelon! Ice cold watermelon!' The biggest slice of ice coal, ripe red, ice coal, rich and rare, the biggest slice of ice coal watermelon ever cut by the hand of man. Buy our ice coal watermelon! Penrod, having drained the last drop of cider, complied with the watermelon man's luscious entreaty, and received a round slice of the fruit, magnificent in circumference and something over an inch in thickness. Leaving only the really dangerous part of the rind behind him, he wandered away from the vicinity of the watermelon man and supplied himself with a bag of peanuts, which, with the expenditure of a dime for admission, left a quarter still warm in his pocket. However, he managed to break the coin at a stand inside the tent, where a large oblong paper box of popcorn was handed him, with twenty cents change. The box was too large to go into his pocket, but, having seated himself among some wistful Pollock children, he placed it in his lap and devoured the contents at leisure during the performance. The popcorn was heavily larded with partially boiled molasses, and Penrod sandwiched mouthfuls of peanuts with gobs of this mass until the peanuts were all gone. After that, he ate with less avidity, a sense almost of satiety beginning to manifest itself to him, and it was not until the close of the performance that he disposed of the last morsel. He descended a little heavily to the outflowing crowd in the arena, and bought a caterwauling toy balloon, but showed no great enthusiasm in manipulating it. Near the exit, as he came out, was a hot waffle-stand, which he had overlooked, and a sense of duty obliged him to consume the three waffles, thickly powdered with sugar, which the waffle-man cooked for him upon command. They left a hottish taste in his mouth. They had not been quite up to his anticipation, indeed, and it was with a sense of relief that he turned to the hokey-pokey cart, 
which stood close at hand, laden with square slabs of Neapolitan ice cream wrapped in paper. He thought the ice cream would be cooling, but somehow it fell short of the desired effect, and left a peculiar savor in his throat. He walked away too languid to blow his balloon, and passed a fresh taffy booth with strange indifference. A bare-armed man was manipulating the taffy over a hook, pulling a great white mass to the desired stage of candying, but Penrod did not pause to watch the operation. In fact, he averted his eyes, which were slightly glazed, in passing. He did not analyze his motives. Simply, he was conscious that he preferred not to look at the mass of taffy. For some reason, he put a considerable distance between himself and the taffy stand, but before long halted in the presence of a red-faced man who flourished a long fork over a small cooking apparatus and shouted jovially, Winnies! Here's your hot winnies! Hot winnie-worst! Food for the overworked brain! Nourishing for the weak stomach! Entertaining for the tired businessmen! Here's your hot winnies! Three, four, a nickel, a half a dime, the twentieth pot of a dollar! This, above all nectar and ambrosia, was the favorite dish of Penrod Schofield. Nothing inside him now craved it, on the contrary, but memory is the great hypnotist. His mind argued against his inwards that opportunity knocked at his door. Vinniverst was rigidly forbidden by the home authorities. Besides, there was a last nickel in his pocket, and nature protested against its survival. Also, the red-faced man had himself proclaimed his wares nourishing for the weak stomach. Penrod placed the nickel in the red hand of the red-faced man. He ate two of the three greasy cigar-like shapes cordially pressed upon him in return. The first bite convinced him that he had made a mistake. These whinnies seemed of a very inferior flavor, almost unpleasant, in fact, but he felt obliged to conceal his poor opinion of them for fear of offending the red-faced man. He ate without haste or eagerness, so slowly indeed, that he began to think the red-faced man might dislike him as a deterrent of trade. Perhaps Penrod's mind was not working well, for he failed to remember that no law compelled him to remain under the eye of the red-faced man, but the virulent repulsion excited by his attempt to take a bite of the third sausage inspired him with at least an excuse for postponement. "'Mighty good,' he murmured feebly, placing the sausage in the pocket of his jacket with a shaking hand. "'Guess I'll save this one to eat at home, after—after after dinner.' He moved sluggishly away, wishing he had not thought of dinner. A sideshow, undiscovered until now, failed to arouse his interest, not even exciting a wish that he had known of its existence when he had money. For a time he stared without attraction, the weather-worn colors conveying no meaning to comprehension at a huge canvas poster depicting the chief his torpid eye. Then, little by little, the poster became more vivid to his consciousness. There was a greenish-tinted person in the tent, it seemed, who thrived upon a reptilian diet. Suddenly, Penrod decided that it was time to go home. End of chapter 19